Okay, this week's Parsha is Parsha Shalach. They got a lot, a lot of information to unpack, a lot of ideas, and we'll see as time allows how many ideas. I think somebody's got my... Oh, no, that's fine. We're good, we're good. Everything's fine. Okay, so the beginning of the Parsha, Shalach Lecho Anoshim, send for yourself men, V'yasuru Eseres Kenan, and let them spy out the land of Kenan. Okay, Rashi says on that, lecha for you, meaning ledaitecha, for yourself, at your discretion. In other words, for your benefit, if you think it's a good land, you could send uh, spies. We know the Jews requested this. And that's how the Parsha begins. It begins with the story, the very sad story of the spies. The Parsha ends with the third chapter of the Kriyashma, which is the Parsha of Tzitzis. And it says, Tzitzis, and these tassels will be for Tzitzis, or Isamoso, you'll see them, Uzachartem is called Mitzvah Hashem. You'll remember all the Mitzvah Hashem, them, and you will do them. Okay, so a number of questions to start. The Torah is saying, if I look at these Tzitzis, I'll remember to do the mitzvahs of Hashem. So what is it about me looking at the mitzvahs is going to make me do the mitzvahs? Now, the Torah says that's so, but doesn't tell us how. Okay, that's the first question. And of course, the famous question has to always be asked since uh, more than half the people in the audience now are ladies. So what is, why aren't women obliged in the midst of tzitzis? You know, why can't they wear tzitzis? As far as I understood, it was because men are usually the ones that are outside the house. They're the ones that are seeing most of the things that could be luring them away from Torah, as opposed to women who are within a home who apparently hire spiritually. We don't need reminders. Okay, we know what's okay, you don't realize. What if you go out into the street? It's like we have a, what they call what a bina yaser something that you got a bina yaser. We, we, we have what okay. we understand. Okay. We know what we have to do. We don't need yeah, reminders. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fine. Fine. No women because it works like that. No working. If you see a good looking man, men have an inherent weakness. Most okay. Women, we don't. Okay, well, okay, we'll take that answer for the time being. Okay, let's move on. Um, question is, why is now the time to talk about the mitzvahs of tzitzis more so than any other time? And Rashi tells us in source number four, when it says... Uh, on the words, uh, um, oh, not on this pusik. I don't have. I don't know why I didn't put the pusik over there. Okay, so the Torah tells us you will remember them, and then it says, "Oh, so I should have put uh, as a point." So it's the point after question. Uh, uh, yes, it's in source three. You're looking. You have a different sheet to me. Okay, so in source number four, it continues. Uh, once, uh, no, I didn't give it to you. I'm sorry. And then the Torah says, I'm sorry, I didn't put that in. And you will not stray after your hearts and after your eyes, which you stray after. 
And Rashi says, it's like, what's so sure? Like mitur ha'aretz, like spying the land. The heart and the eyes are spies of the body, and they're the ones that uh, are the brokers to do averos. The eye sees, the heart wants, and the body does the avera. So we have to understand a little bit more what's that dynamic over here that, uh, that, the, that the heart wants and the eye see and how Sitz is going to help all this. Something to look in a little deeper. And then another interesting point in source number five, it says you put these tzitzis on your garments and you put on them a psil tcheles, a blue fringe. So why is it going on our clothes? Why don't we have it hang from our uh, fingers? Attach it to our wallets, to our fridges. Like we have a mezuzah goes on the doorpost. Why on our clothes? Does it have to be on you all the time? Okay, so I can put it around my hand like a red thread. I can put a purple thread around my hand. If anything, it'll be better because it's like right on my hand. I can't forget about it. Just like we put tefillin on our body. In the olden days, you'd wear tefillin all day long. So why can't I, and it's on your body, so why can't I have a purple thread around my hand? It's, it's covering the most important organs of the, you know, the body. The kidney, the heart, the... Oh, well, no, it's only at the corner. It's protection. No, the, the, you, have to make, you, have, you have to make this clear. Yeah, but it's, it's, the beged, the yeah, beged is not a mitzvah. There's no mitzvah having the garment. It's the tzitzis. So if I had a jacket that was four cornered, I put tzitzis on the on the jacket corner. So what? What? Okay, so let's so let's do better. Let's put it on my hand. Let's, let's put it. Well, I have to fill it on your hands all the time. No, like I said, you really should have filling on all day. But since we're not able to protect our body, so why not? So why, why specifically on the clothes? Okay. Another interesting idea in source number six, Gemur Menacha says, why this, uh, this techeles, this kind of bluish purple color, why is that the one thread that we put on our tzitzis? So Gemara asks that, and he says, because techeles is similar to the color of the sea, and the sea is similar to the sky, and the sky is similar to the throne of glory, and I bring Pesukim for this. And therefore, when I look at the treles on my string, I will be able to remember the throne of glory. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, that's a stretch. I know we don't have the blue thread. We don't have it because we, we don't know what it is, but it is supposed to be a critical part of the mitzvah. It's unfortunate we don't have that mitzvah. So what, what is behind that idea of the techeles? So it's a pretty big stretch, right? It's understandable from the techeles to the ocean, I see that, okay? To the sky, I can even see that because, you know, that's the source of it because after all, the blue dye came from a chelazon fish, so it was a fish, so it was in the water, water, sky. I, I could see that. 
Okay, so it's a product of the sea. And it's a scientific fact that the ocean is blue as a reflection of the sky above. That's all wonderful. But now comes this great leap that this Tcheles fish, you know, the source that is in this world, I've seen the ocean, I see the sky, and I can do those degrees of association. But the Kisei Hakavod, the throne of glory, you know, who has seen that? How am I supposed to make that connection? So these are just some opening questions on this mitzvah of tzitzis. And the answer has to be, we're forced to say, that the goal of meditating on the tcheles and the tzitzis is to train my mind to perceive that there's a deeper reality beyond the surface level that my eyes are able to see. I have to acknowledge my eyes can only see so much. And my, my, my eyes have physical limits. And then I have to be able to have them cross the threshold into a more divine realm of conceptualization. Doesn't a kippa do something similar or wearing a hat? Uh, you don't see them. I, I, I don't I don't see them. It it tells me there's something above me. Okay. But it's not telling me the throne of glory. And remember, a keeper is not it's a custom. It's not a mitzvah in the Torah. It's not one of the six hundred and thirteen mitzvahs. And could very well be in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu they did not wear a keeper. Could wear it will be they didn't wear they didn't wear a keeper. Okay. So, so the tzitzes are trying to guide my mind to be, acknowledge much higher levels of existence to understand what's the source of the sea and what's the source of the skies and the whole world itself, the whole background as far as, far as my eyes can see and there's still more than what I can see. And this explains another interesting thing. Why are they called tzitzes? Funny name. So tzitzis comes from the word lehatzitz. I don't know if that's in modern Hebrew. It is. What's lehatzitz mean? To pick. To pick. To focus. Yeah. To gaze. To, to gaze and focus. Look in source number seven, for example. The Midrash Rabbah says that, that Moshe was going all around. Not Moshe. Avram was going all around. And he's trying to figure out this whole world. There's got to be a creator. So I give an analogy to a person who sees that a, uh, a city's on fire. And he says, it's got to be somebody running the city. And if I put it in red over there, so hate seats love Balabira. The master of the Bira gave a gaze at him and says, I'm the master of the Bira. So too did Hashem hate seats, hate seats love. He gazed at him. And Rashi himself, in source number eight, says, why is it called tzitzis? One is because of the, the, the tassels are called tzitzis. But later on, he says, it's also in Shira Shirim, where it says, metzitz minacharakim, gazing through the lattice. So, obviously, tzitzis, the word tzitzis means to gaze. So, what we are being told is that Tzitzis, by virtue of this mitzvah, we can gain a spiritual depth perception that is now 
something that we understand. There's what to see beyond what we can see. In other words, there's, there's the world as we see it. I can see the ocean. I can see the skies. But there's something behind that, something driving that. And therefore, really, everything I look at in this world, I have to look with that kind of a vision. And we can call this a depth perception versus a shallow perception. Now, why is this in the same parsha as the spies? Because this is exactly the problem that the spies had. The spies only made a decision based on what their eyes would see. And if they would have, now we didn't have the myths of Tzitzis yet. If they would have had the myths of Tzitzis, perhaps they'd have a deeper perception of reality than such a shallow one. And therefore we understand why Rashi connects the sin of the spies to the pasuk of Lo Sosuru. Lo Sosuru means don't let your eyes wander to glance over, to check things out, because that kind of lasur is very shallow, and that's not the same as lahatzitz, to look at things with depth. So, therefore, the, one second, so the problem with the spies is they just looked at things superficially, and they made a decision based on what they saw, and Hashem says, you know, if you would look a lot deeper, you would see a lot more to the story. And therefore, the Meraglim, who didn't guard their eyes, therefore, Tzitzis is going to be the solution for that. Okay, yeah? So, um, I, I believe that the spies, these ten of them had sort of a preconceived idea and a pre and, and, and preconceived uh, motivation not to go into Eretz Israel. Um, so, if they already had... A, an advanced, you know, uh, thought. Um, it's not like they went into Eretz Israel and then they had a negative thought. They went in there with a negative mm-hmm. thought already. Okay. They already had a biased. Pers- uh, they were, okay. They were already biased and, and somewhat. Um, you, know, you mentioned maybe might have been shallow or or, or 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 their own prejudice, their own prejudice view of what they're going to see beforehand. It was it was premeditated is the word I'm looking for. So it's not like. You go into somewhere and, you know, and you remind, and Sitsis will remind you to look beyond what your eyes can see. They've already programmed themselves what they want to see beforehand. Okay. So, is it, so what, what, that's why I'm questioning why would Sitsis come in at this point in time? If they went there with, 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 with a task, without pre- preconceived ideas, and they, did, and, they, and, they, and they saw the wrong thing, I could see how Sitsis could be relevant to this parsha at this time, but they came with a, with a, with a, with a, they already had a notion in their mind already. Okay, that's a very good um, point. However, there's a story in the Talmud that would contradict your uh, correct supposition. Okay. Talmud talks about a, a person who was, uh, a person who uh, was not uh, behaving in the best way possible. He was, he was a, uh, a student in the yeshiva, but he had a yetzahara. And he found about, about a very um, pretty lady of the night, and his yetzahara got a hold of him. Definitely preconceived notions. And he decides to uh, have a rendezvous with her. And she's very attracted to him, 
and he's coming to her, and as he's taking off his clothes, his tzitzah slapped him in the face. Wow. He stopped dead in his tracks. Okay, point taken. Right, I see that. And the woman says, am I not beautiful? He says, you are. But these tzitzahs reminding me what I'm, what I'm supposed to be seeing. So, so, the fact of the matter is, it's, it's fascinating what the Torah, what the Chazal are telling us, is they're saying that even if you would be going with a preconceived notion, that tzitzahs would help you see things better. And that is the power of the mitzvah of tzitzis. That's a very important point that we have to understand. Yeah? So we understand the tzitzis was not there at that time. Yes. But Moshe only blessed Yoshua, and Caleb went for blessing to the Yes, yes. Why yes. Moshe did not bless other ten? If tzitzis was not there, his blessing would have uh, uh, given him a, a clear definition for them to look at them. Because when they left, they were, they were, they were good men. They had the good, good thought. Only when they entered Israel, the thought changed. Okay, so what are you asking me? I'm saying that Sisit was not there, but Moshe could have given... Why didn't he them. bless everybody? Yes. Well, I guess you only can bless people who want to get blessings. But Yeshua was his, right? was his student. Of course. And he probably uh, would accept that blessing. Blessings only work for those who want to receive the blessings. And for those, for so those, they're the, who the, they, are, they are the selected uh, lot. Yes. So, but but a, ble- a blessing itself only works if the recipient wants to receive the blessing. If you don't believe in the blessing or you don't want the blessing, the blessing's not going to work. Yeshua was his <laughs> trusty student, so the trusty student wanted a blessing. Now there's all kinds of questions. You know, there's, there's a million questions to ask on this story. Why does he send them if, if they're not having the best intentions? That, that's beyond what I want to talk about tonight. And we've talked about in other classes, and it's worthy to talk about another time, but I'm trying to stay focused on this. So now why, so now we can understand why are tzitzes placed on the clothing? Why are they placed on the clothing? Because it comes to the way a person comes across to the world, what brings the message of who you think you are more than anything else. The clothing that you wear are the most external. Okay? And before my actions, anything about my personality, the clothing I wear defines me on the most basic level. And that's a dangerous way of looking at things, but we judge a lot by what we see on the clothing. And that can create shallow images. So therefore, for that reason, we put the tzitzes on top of the clothing to show you the contrast between the shallowness of the clothing and what the tzitzis are really trying to get you to see. And let's take it even a step further that the uh, commentaries say like this, it's got to be corners. Why does it have to be corners? Why can't it be a rounded? What, uh, based on this first interpretation, so let me put tzitzis right on here. But it's not. It's not a corner. It's rounded out. So one of the Mephorshim says, when something comes to a corner, it's coming to a dead end. And that reminds you that just like your, this garment covers up my body, my body is a garment of my soul. And just like this garment comes to an end, so too my body is going to come to an end. 
And what will be of me will be that I have a soul. And therefore, if I would figure and look through life as a soulful person, I look at things different than if I'm a body person. If you realize you live in this physical world and when you die, you're finished, then the way you look at things is certainly different than the way you look at things if, you're living, if your soul lives forever. And therefore, that gives you a different um, schema from which to work at. So on the one hand, yes, clothing are superficial, but when you see that the clothing comes to an end and it means your body, which is the greatest type of clothing for the soul, is going to come to an end. So you see the world a lot differently. And then, and then what is most important, when the Torah says, Uri Isamo, so you will see them and remember all the mitzvahs. Why is that so? Well, because if you look at the world in a shallow fashion, then the mitzvahs don't make any sense. What, what in the world does putting a mezuzah on my door accomplish? Just ethnic pride? You know, what, what, what happens when I'm shaking a lulav? I don't know. What are the consequences of mixing wool and linen? But when you begin to say that there is a reality beyond all realities, there's something that makes the sky the sky. And the mitzvahs are there to make me aware of something that is way beyond what the physical eye sees. And when I internalize that message, then I begin to realize that all these mitzvahs have something behind them too. I may not understand everything that's behind them, but there must be, just like everything in this world, everything has something behind it. And what, that's that great leap, that leap of there's a Hashem who's making heaven and earth. And there's a Hashem behind every mitzvah. And this mitzvah is not just limited to what I physically do, but there's something behind that. There's the infinite energies of Hashem. So when I see them, then I will remember the mitzvahs because the mitzvahs have, have purpose. Okay. So this is the critical point. So this mitzvah is really just like all mitzvahs are. It, it is a miraculous tool. And it's like a way of getting your vision corrected. And when we look, you look at the world, what do you see? So most people say what you see is what you get. Most people in the world, what you see is what you get. A Jew, that's absolutely not true. What you see is for sure not what you get. And at best, it's just a cover of what's really there. And that's what you need the mitzvah tzitzis for. And that mitzvah tzitzis helps us. Because if you notice, the Torah says, and I'm sorry, I didn't put it in. I just, when I was recopying it off the main... When the Torah says, Lo sasuru asher zonim you shall not stray after your heart and eyes where your eye, which, that you are straying after. We are told that this, it's a negative precept. You shall not stray after your eyes. So we know there are six constant mitzvos. Six constant mitzvos. And one of them is this. Just like there's a constant mitzvah to know there's Hashem and to know there's one Hashem and to love Hashem and to fear Hashem. Okay, and not to worship idols. There's also a mitzvah of not to go after your eyes. Now, when we talk about a constant mitzvah, that means that has to define reality. Just like we say, if you, if you don't believe there's a God, it's, it's something, it, it, 
it's not, what does it mean it's a constant mitzvah? It's like there's a total awareness every minute of your life and you can't not be aware of that at any time. So if you don't, if you don't, if you're not aware right now there's a Shem of this world, you're gonna get yourself in all kinds of trouble. If you're not aware at this moment, every moment, to not define things by what you see in front of you, if you're not careful, you're gonna get yourself in big trouble. And that is, it's like driving a car blind. Now I'm sure there's some people you know, if you take your glasses off, you can't see anything, right? Now, would you say it's a constant mitzvah to have glasses on when you're driving? Necessity. It's a necessity. Can't live without it. So Hashem wants us to have spiritual glasses on. And the spiritual glasses are, 2020 vision is that you see there's something behind all this reality. Now, if you're a, a real tzaddik, you mamish can see it. But us, we just assume it's so, and we have a muna that this is the reality behind everything. And that makes it a constant mitzvah. Now the question is, okay, so how am I going to do it? Hashem says there's only one way you could do it. Is you have to put tzitzis on. If you don't put tzitzis on, it's going to be very, very hard. And we're going to have to go a little deeper and to understand why women don't need to have tzitzis. So we're going to say it's spiritually better. Okay, good. But you have to you have to define the mechanics of it, and then you have to be careful um, uh, to make sure that if you're better, how maybe you're going to lose it. Okay, there are unfortunately a lot of women in this world, present company excluded who will go after their eyes big time, <laughs> big time. So it's obviously something that's not so simple. So let's, and let, let's see, what, 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 is this something new or is this something that has been leading, building up to us since last week's Parsha? Look in source nine, someone pointed out this to me and I saw, then saw in one of the Mephorshim, when the Jews are about to go on their trip travelings to start to leave the desert of Sinai, Moshe comes to Yisro and he says, come along with us. And in source number nine, he says, Vayomer al no tazovo sanu, don't leave us. Since you come to know our encampment, and you will be to us for eyes. What does that mean? I have a problem with this. What? You have a problem with this? How he's saying something like that, Moshe. What do you mean? What, well, what's what's the problem? Why he needs him to be a naim? He needs he taught to be the naim for him, for him. I think he's telling him because he's to help him realize his value. Why he knows Hashem and we have Ananek Kavod and we have uh, the. That is true. That why, is true. I will tell you why. Because at this point in time, we weren't <laughs> planning on staying in the desert for 40 years. At this point in time, it's a few more days and we're in Eretz Yisrael. Yeah, and there's no more clouds of glory. And there's no more Amud Esh and Amud Anan. No. And we're going to live like regular people. In Eretz Yisrael. In Eretz Yisrael, but it's going to be like regular people. Natural means, and now there's all kinds of things you're seeing, and we have to understand. And and Yisro, because he had 
such impeccable honesty. He was the only human being who wasn't Jewish who converted. So he must have some pretty good eyes. Because he, he had good ears too. By Yishma Yisro. But he must have good eyes to be able to see realities that are beyond. So of course, they don't need him right now. Because you see in source 10, it says, Hashem. Yes, they went from Hashem, the Har Hashem for three days and the Aaron was with them. To, to seek out a resting place for him. Yes, but when you got the clouds of glory doing it, when the clouds of glory are searching around, they got good eyes. They know where we should go. But that's not going to be forever. And for whatever reason, it seems that Yisro does not come with us. So Moshe kind of knew, he had a gut reaction. Yisro would be very helpful for us. Because you have to remember, Moshe is the establishment. And when people go against the establishment, it's usually the solution is not found in the establishment. The solution will be found for the one who has lost a lot by joining the team. Yisro was a cardinal. He gave that up. And he was suffered a lot of insults from people. As a convert, he will not be entitled, even if he's Moshe's father-in-law, he's not entitled to a piece of land in Israel. He has no perks. He has nothing. He converts and loses everything. So now, he's somebody that people could relate to. And he says, you got the right eyes. You understand that there's something behind all this. With an unselfish mindset. That's right. Okay, and therefore, we need you. Moshe knew that this was not going to be an easy trip. And unfortunately, Yisra doesn't come. And therefore, what happens right after that, we go to source 11, as we saw last week, and then it says, and the rabble that was amongst them, they had this great taiva, and they start crying, and they said, oh, we remember, we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt. And then it talks about all those amazing things, and now we don't like this mun. It says this, before the mun, that's before our eyes. It, was, it didn't have the right presentation. You know, people are very into presentation. Why are you paying so much money at a restaurant? You think the food's that great? Very expensive restaurants? It's the presentation. You know, usually, you know, when my wife makes a cheesecake, whatever, okay, she makes a cake, she puts it on the plate, gives me a cheesecake. You go to a restaurant, they have to do something to it. They can't get a piece of cheesecake. They got to put drizzle it with this and that and all that. Not only could charge you $20 for that piece. Because it captivates the eyes. And they understand that that works. Mun was not an eye captivator. It, and it says it's like a coriander seed. The Eino Ke'ein Habadolach. He keeps saying, and its appearance was the appearance of the coriander seed. And Hashem was upset. And Ube'ene Moshe, but in old Moshe's eyes, it was bad. You got a lot of eyes going on over here. So what do you see is going on? Moshe sees, he knows we're going to be going into a real physical world. And we need you, Yisro. But for whatever reasons, it wasn't meant to be. But that's like, a, it's, the whole story doesn't make sense. Why is it also says, Moshe says, come on, come with us. And he says, no, no. 
He said, well, we need you for your eyes, and that's the end. <laughs> Move on with the story. So why tell the story? Why tell the story at all? Because it's foreshadowing what's going to happen. We need an old guy with good eyes, with good vision, who's not part of the establishment that people will trust. And it could be the fact we're foreshadowing, and now as soon as they leave and he's not there, so what happens? They're leaving Sinai, and all of a sudden, they, 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 they want things that are more physically pleasing to them. And therefore, that you see the die is cast already. And now it's just a matter of time where the spies mess up. So now you see that the tzitzis is a critical factor. It's very important, this mitzvah. Somehow, this mitzvah of tzitzis, the miraculous nature of tzitzis is such that when you put it on and you have the right kavana, when you put it on, even though it doesn't have the, the, the purple thread, but twice a day you read in the davening that it has a purple thread, and when you're putting it on, you should be thinking as you're putting it on that this is supposed to have a purple thread. And as I put this on, and this is a cover to me, but it's not real, just like my body is a cover and it's not real. And I think of the ocean, and I think of the sky, and I think of the Kisei Covenant, and I think that everything, there's something behind everything in this world, and therefore every mitzvah, there's something much bigger behind that, and there's much deeper realities than what my eyes see. And that's what gets you to be able to keep all the mitzvahs. So now, we want to understand why this is so. Why is it that human beings have such a problem with their vision? And this is what is going to be understood in the first three words of the Parsha. Back to source one. What is it? Shlach lecha anashim. Those three words is the whole Parsha. Shlach lecha anashim. So what do those words mean? Shalach means send, which means that the people that are, be, that are being sent are on a shlichus, they're on a mission. Okay, they're on a mission. Now, when you're on a mission, by definition, what does that mean? I'm not, no, no trick questions here. What does that mean? You have a task. You have a task. Who's, who's giving you the task? Hashem. Well, here Hashem has given you. And if it's not Hashem, you're doing every... Thank you. You're doing that all for the purpose of the one who's sending you. Okay. So here it happens to be Hashem is the one that is sending us on this mission. Okay. Now, what's my job? To complete the task. Why? Because that's what your purpose is. That's my purpose. That's my shlichus. Does my opinion matter? Yeah. No. If you're given a task and you're accepting to be a shliach, you guys have to do the task. Let's say I send you to the corner grocery store to buy me a quart of milk. Okay? And you come back with almond breeze. And I say, what's this? He says, you know what? I I hear that almond milk is healthier, so I got you the almond breeze. I said, I didn't ask you for Armand Priest. <laughs> I didn't ask you for your opinion. 
But you, 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 you're doing it on your own. So you're not doing it for me. You didn't do anything for me. I asked you to do this. That, that's, that's the shlach. Okay. What's lecha? For your benefit. Between the word shlach and lecha is where all of Judaism lives or dies. Why, why, why? Because, listen, by nature, people want what's good for them. Don't you want what's good for you? Of course you want what's good for you. When you're on a mission, it doesn't necessarily feel it's good for you. Right? Some people, the shlach comes before the lecha. Some people, the lecha comes before the shlach. I'll go on the mission, but let me see if it works for me. Other people say, I'm going on the mission, and... I don't, I, I don't know if it's going to work for me. It's supposed to work for me, but I got to do the shlach first. And lecha will just have to come later if it comes or not. That's why it's first shlach and then lecha. But then says the kliyakar something fascinating in source number 12. He focuses on the third word, anashim, men. And the kliyakar, you got the English there. He says the Torah specified men. You know Why? Because the men hated the land. They said, let's find a leader and go back to Egypt. While the women loved the land. As we'll find in a few weeks from now, the Benos Tzlavchat said, can't we have a piece of land? So Hashem, so to speak, is saying, according to me, I would rather have sent the women. Because the land is precious to them. But, okay, you send the men, according to your understanding. Wow. So what, what does that mean exactly? That women would have been better to send the women before the men. Why is that? And now we come to a very important piece from Ruff Cook that is like such an important piece. Like everybody needs to know this piece. And of course, there's this infamous bracha in the sitter that, that, that has plagued Yiddishkeit for many years. And it's the only bracha that secular Jews know about. How in the world could we, could a man make a bracha, Shaloh Asani Isha? You did not make me a woman. That is terrible. That is sexist like anything in the world. Who knows? One day in Canada, they'll force us to take it out of the prayer book. Chas v'shol. It's certainly a terrible, that's a very misogynistic blessing. Very sexist. It's, it's terrible. How could you say such a thing? So, one answer, the common answer is, well, a man has more mitzvahs. So, you know what? So you're thanking Hashem that you have more mitzvahs. But still, why do you got to say it in such a negative way? There's all kinds of discussion on this, and we've talked a lot about this. Rav Cook, it's very hard Hebrew, and I put a little English in there to make it easier on source 14. You'll see the English is at the end over there. But uh, let's, let's, I'll try to read it inside, and you can catch the English along. And he says such a phenomenal idea. Every man and lady needs to know this. And whenever you get into discussion with people, this is your answer. This is the definitive answer, as far as I've come across in all my years. And it's something to tell your children. And he says like this. 
He says, I'm 14 there. You know, the lots of souls in their lives. They're divided by the ones who act and the ones that are acted upon. There are those who make an imprint on the world and those who are imprinted. And in the red, he says, This is that powerful difference, that unique, major difference between the soul of a man and the soul of a woman. And look at all these fancy Hebrew words he uses to describe the man. Hapoel, hachokek, hakovesh, hamadbir, which means the, the doer, the one who etches, the one who conquers. And between the, the woman, the soul of the woman, hanir shemes, who's imprinted upon, hanif eles, who is inspired, is what? Been activated. Been activated. Who's been conquered, no? Right? Dabberes. Okay, and to the difference between that and the man. In other words, he's saying like this. The man is the conqueror. The man the man is goes out to this world to make an impression on the world. He's a shaker and he's a mover. The woman, not so much. And the woman is more, we'll call, the passive one. The one who, or better way we say, the man, the woman is the homer, she's the mass, and the man is the tzura, is the shaper. And he shapes the mass. And the woman is the one who is impressionable, so to speak. Now, on the one hand, it looks like the man's got all the virtues. Because he's the one that makes things happen. And the woman, things happen to her. But then, in the second paragraph, by the next period, he says, although man has many virtues, you have to understand that your virtue can be your downfall. Why? Because if you are the shaker and mover, you're not so impressed by others. On the other hand, if you're the impressionable one, you can be impressed, and sometimes you can be impressed more so than the one who has trouble being impressed. And that becomes a major point. He says if a woman is straight, she can be impressed by everything that Hashem wants from her. While a man doesn't impress easily from God himself. So, Let's try to, that's what I tried to put into the English over there. Hang on, hang on, hang on. We'll, 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 we'll see. Like, I got to spend a little bit more time explaining to get this idea across before I can handle questions. I haven't explained enough yet. Okay. So the man clearly, I and mean, we're talking in general, there's always exceptions to the rule. But the man goes out there to build the world. And he has to take, take that world and, and work and create and he makes his mark on the world. And he makes his mark on the family. And he gives the wife what she needs. And she'll, you know, take what's there. And she is very impressed by what the husband does and will act on that. And she's kind of 
in the background, so to speak, and the man's sort of in charge. But the woman has this positive passivity, we'll call it, I don't have a better word for this, where she's able to be impressed by something. And what is that she's mostly impressed by? The will of Hashem. That she wins hands down over man. So therefore, and, and you'll find this often, you, a, a good example, a husband and wife will go to a lecture that a rabbi is giving. So, and the rabbi, let's say, let's say, the rabbi is talking about the mitzvah wearing tzitzis. So they come home, the wife, you hear that? The rabbi said you should put on tzitzis. Huh. What does the rabbi know? I make a lot of money. I give a lot of tzedakah. I know what I'm doing. And I know, I know the halacha. It has to be four corners. You don't have to put them on. It's not an obligation. Only if I have a four-cornered garment, that's when I need it. That's the halacha. And I don't have any four-corners garments. And I don't want to put an extra garment, bedavka, especially in the summertime, that sweats me up. And you always complain how bad I smell, dear. And now I'm going to have something else to smell from from this. So, so the guy is not impressed with the rabbi's speech. Well, the wife is impressed with that speech. Right? This is the challenge. So, therefore, this is the difference in their vision. Uh, a woman, when Hashem shows you something, since she is, her virtue is her ability to be impressed. So if Hashem is telling me that something's good, and I'm looking at something, and it doesn't look good, she says, now whenever that happens, you have one of two options. What are the two options? If Hashem says something's good and your eye sees it's not good, what are your two options? To agree or not agree. To agree or not agree. So the woman, because she's so impressionable, and when a God is the one who's impressing her, she she's impressed. Yeah. She says, God says it's good. And it is good. It's good. Oh, I don't see it? Oh, I got to work on my vision. There's something wrong with my vision. She's so impressed by a Kaddish Baruch Hu. She looks for ways to overcome the obstacles. Because if you want something bad enough, you'll find a way to make it happen. And since the woman is, her strength is to be impressed. Now, her downfall is if she is what he called naive. Because she has to watch out to be not be impressed by crooked people, no. by a gigolo. Remember, you can impress the woman. Oh, you're such a wonderful woman, such a beautiful woman, such a sensitive soul. Your husband doesn't so understand shoe, you. I understand you. And then you have the Isha Sota. Because they are, but that's why, of course, if she's Yeshara, she's straight. She'll be much more impressed than the man. So she has to be careful not to be impressed by something foolish. No. But if it's impressed by Hashem, she'll always be way beyond him. Why? Because it's not her job to build up her ego by her accomplishing things. 
she understands she's the receptacle. And the main receptacle is the receptacle from Hashem. And Hashem is the one giving and she is impressed by Hashem. She wants to get it. She loves Hashem. And if Hashem tells her to do something, such as having babies, now that's a fun thing. That's a fun thing. I, I, I mean, I can't speak for women. I only could hear what my wife has said. So, you know, but uh, that ain't good for you. <laughs> oh, it's such a blessing. Oh, is it really? Yes, you vomit for three months. You uh, lose so many fluids, you have to go to emerge for a week to be, uh, to be on an IV. And you're barfing all over the place. And you're totally incapacitated for three months. And then, and then, you know, if you're not so fortunate, you give birth to a stillborn. And then you got to start all over again. This is not a geschäft for most people. And to be able to want to have children, you better darn well be impressed by the will of Hashem. If Hashem says the greatest gift you could have is to have children, well, we'll figure a way to do it. <laughs> this is not easy, especially if you don't have lots of paranasa. How are you going to do this? And therefore, what has kept the Jewish people alive has been the Jewish woman, because she's impressed by what God does, even though this doesn't make sense. And long ago, it was a very high mortality. But says this, but this is what Hashem wants. And therefore, if, if, you, love, if you love Hashem, you're going to find a way to make it work. Like in Egypt, when the men didn't want to have Same children, thing. Same thing. Said, no, you're crazy. So you have this is where that extra vision comes from. That's where that better vision comes from. Because they are so impressionable. And they will be impressed by what Hashem says. When a man looks at something, Hashem says it's good, it doesn't look good. So the man says, I have to see how it's good for me. So let's, okay, I'm giving a, just a random example. I'm not meaning to politicize anything. I'm not meaning to put pressure on anybody. Okay. But, you know, everybody would like to go to Israel. Right? Wouldn't we all love to move to Israel? Yeah. But what can we do? What can we do? It's really hard to live in Israel. I had someone telling me that uh, a family, they love going to Israel. But, the, but one of the spouses, I just can't stand. I love Israel, but I can't stand living there. The, stu the, the pace, the, uh, what do you call it? The, the, the environment, the, the Israeli mentality, the, the, you know, pushy and in your face. There's probably a nicer way of saying this. And Esther will tell me what that nicer word is soon. Mentalios. But it, that's, you know, it's like, you know, cut in line. You know, it's like, you know, and, and you can speak harshly, yeah. you know, but then they kiss you afterwards, you know. It's just not for a lot of Canadians. You know, like, excuse me is not in the dictionary. In Israel. <laughs> no, it is. Sorry. No, what they they cut ahead of you and it say slicha. It used to be. I find that the Canadian okay. changed too. That who changes? The Canadian changed. Oh, they, what? they used to be soft and okay. Okay, but I, but I'm saying, but I'm saying, and and finances is is not easy in Israel. It's it's all it's all from the eyes, from the eyes, much worse than living in Canada. From the eyes. So the husband says, "Well, 
is, do my eyes, does it look good for me? I got a good job in Israel, you know, I'm, I'm a doctor here, I get, you know, half a million dollars a year. In Israel, I get $50,000. Not so good. They don't appreciate my medical skills. Okay? So, so therefore, it, it's hard because they see, they see what they see based on the fact that they are the ones who have to make it happen. They're the ones who have to make the impression. And if I have to make the impression, and now I got to be impressed upon, that doesn't go well for me. And therefore, I will. You, that, as you said, I, I see it the way it's the lecha first, and then we do the shalach. While by nature, the women, it's the shalach first, and then it's the lecha, and then it's the lecha. And that's what we have, for example. Uh, so really, the more you love something, the more you'll try to make it work. They say the famous story with uh, Rabbi Hanan Wasserman and his wife. His wife was married to Rabbi Meir Atlas, who was the rabbi in the city of Salant. And uh, Rabbi Hanan had a very prestigious yeshiva in Baranovich for high school students. So after many years, so um, the Rebetzin's father passed away, and now there was an opening in Salon for a rabbi. So her mother is all alone in Salon, the widow, and she'd like to be with her mother. So she asked Rebbe Hanan, you know, they need a, a, a rabbi in Salon. Why don't you be the rabbi in Salon? So he says, no, I like it here in Baranovich. I'm Rosh Yeshiva material. I get a lot of seabook out of this. This is what I want to do. And uh, it's not for me. They already offered me a job to be chief rabbi of Moscow, and I turned that down. So I'd rather stay here. Servant says, yes, but you have a rebbe. Who's your rebbe? Your rebbe's the Chafetz Chaim. So why don't you ask a Shaila? Oh, I'm busy with the yeshiva. So it's just, it's just fine. I'll go to Rodden and I'll ask the Shiloh from your Rebbe. Whoa. It's your Rebbe. Rabbi Hanan was the Talmud Muvak of the Chavetz Chaim. Okay. She's got him on that one. He can't get out of that one. He says, okay. You want to go? Okay. Next day. So she's got, she hires the wagon driver. It's going to take her to the train. It's going to take her to another train that will take her to a wagon driver who will get her to Rotten. So, Rebbe Hanan is with his wife outside. He's by the front door. The wife takes her bag. She's ready to go onto the coach. She looks back at her husband and sees the husband is, is crying. Why? Because the husband knows. The answer. Knows what the Chavos <laughs> is going to say. Knows what the Chavos is going to say. She looked, she told the wagon driver, give me back the suitcase. When you call the driver, it's fine, I'll pay you. She took the suitcase, went back in the house, did not discuss that issue ever again. So we call this story the Shiloh that was never asked. Because she's the impressionable one. If you really, they really were both. If you really love someone, you find a way to make it happen, even if it's not the way you want it. 
And that's and that's the Korach that she saw more than what there was to see. Yeah, if you look at it, the Shiloh is, yeah, he should go. They should move. But she saw deeper what, what this would do to her husband. And therefore she was able. If you love someone, you find a way to make it happen. What? She was mevateret, but it's because she... loved him so much. So that's the point. If you love someone so much, you will see things the way they want you to see it. Because that's when you love someone. You're going to, find, you're going to see it the way it should be seen. So therefore, that's what the Kliyakar is saying, that the men, the men, they really didn't love Eretz Yisrael. They said, yeah, it's nice if I can still be a shaker and a mover and a macher and a knocker and all these things. But otherwise, they don't see things, uh, that's the way they see, and there's nothing you can do about that vision. And that's why it says in... Not uh, all the men, just the Asasuf knows. Uh, no, 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 that was the Asasuf. Now we're going about the Maraglim. Now we're about the spies. Yeah. So what happened when everybody heard the report, all the men were crying. This is terrible. Well, the women did not cry. The women did not cry. So now, the, uh, and, and they said, for example, the spy said, we heard them saying when we were there, and they said, they said, we were grasshoppers in their eyes. That's uh, source number 17. We heard them saying the grasshoppers in their eyes. So the Kutzka Rebbe asks, he says, what do they care what the giants say? What do they care what the giants say? So the Kutzka Rebbe says, if you think you're worthless in your eyes, then you're very worried about what other people have to say. But if you have a confidence in Hashem's power, then you don't care what other people are able to, what they're going to say. You know, it seems we usually associate courage with men. But in truth, that's not true. <laughs> when you have an Asia's Chayel, the real courage is with the women. Because they're the ones who are impressionable. That, that's why their eyesight is so much better. And therefore, when the Parsha has to end, it ends with the Mitzvah Tzitzis. It's saying, now, men, to correct your vision, instead of wearing glasses, you're going to wear Tzitzis. And that's why the Gemara and Durham, I believe that's uh, source 23, says the mitzvah tzitzis is considered equal to all the mitzvahs in the Torah. Okay? Why? Because when you have that mitzvah tzitzis, and that helps your vision, when you begin to realize that there is something beyond what I see, and there's a will of Hashem who's created this amazing world, and when you realize that my life is going to come to an end and I have an neshama, and there is so much depth to what reality is, and how do you make that supreme leap? That's what the mitzvah is able to accomplish for you. And if you're having, and without that, it's going to be very hard. So it's like, it's like a miracle drug. That's what is invested in that mitzvah of tzitzis. While women don't need that. But now we understand deeper why. Because their vision, they have excellent vision. Ah, so we'll see. But they still have three mitzvahs, don't they? Challah and lighting candles and Tara Samishpacha. So we'll see if we can get to that. I only have 12 minutes. But there is one other interesting question. Fascinating question. So now you really understand how important it is to have tzitzis, right? So Rev. Uh, Usher Weiss asks a great question. Usher Weiss asks, if it's such an important mitzvah, then why didn't God say, you don't have a choice, you have to wear them? 
Tefillin, you don't have a choice. Every man has to wear a tefillin. Tzitzis, you got a choice. Don't wear a four-cornered garment. But wait a minute, we just got done saying how important it is. So it's that important, how could you not address that issue? And not force it upon and require people for this. That's what Usher Weiss asks. So in source, mm, I don't know if I put it in there. Mm, 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 mm. I didn't put it in there. I don't know why I skipped certain sources. It's my fault. My fault. Anyway. Oh, it's 21. 21. 21. He said, Rabbeir says, greater is the mitzvah, the punishment, for not wearing the white threads than the punishment for not wearing the tcheles threads. In other words, it's harder to get tcheles, okay, even when you could. So you're going to get punished more for not having white threads and you don't have tcheles. He gives a marshal. It's compared to an earthly king who gave instructions to two servants. He asked one servant to bring back a seal made out of clay. He asked the second one to bring back a seal made out of gold. Both were negligent and did not do what they were asked. Who will receive the greater punishment? Clearly, the servant charged with bringing back the clay seal, which is readily available, is deserving of greater punishment than the servant charged with bringing back the hard-to-acquire gold seal. So what do we see? What is tzitzis? Tzitzis is a, uh, a seal of the servant. Tzitzis is a seal of clay. And Tosos explains that seals of clay were typically, when there was slave trade, were typically attached to the bodies of the slaves to show that they belonged to a particular owner. That's what it was in the slave trade days. Yes, but so they put a clay seal on it. So Tosos writes, our tzitzis are our seal indicating that we too are slaves. Now here we mean being an Eved Hashem. But we're not slaves like the Goyish slaves. We're servants of Hashem. So how do we demonstrate that we're servants of Hashem? So Tosa says by wearing our clay seal. So our clay seal is Tzitzis. So therefore Rav Asher Weiss says like this. What's the bigger statement? If you're forced to wear the seal or you volunteer to wear the seal? When you volunteer to be the slave of the Almighty is much bigger than when you're forced. That's why it's not an obligatory mitzvah. Shofar, matzah, yes. But the whole purpose of tzitzis is a statement saying, I am your slave. I accept you as my master. And if you're forced to put it on, it's not going to work. And that's really why, that's what we come back to the beginning. That's why Moshe could not bless anyone unless they wanted the blessing. If you want the blessing, you'll get the blessing. If you don't want the blessing, not. Hashem says, listen, I want you to be my servant, but you've got to want to be my servant. If you don't want to be my servant, you will still won't look at things the way I want you to look at them. Yeah? Why not send women then? Why, why not? What? Why did uh, Moshe did not send women then? The women weren't interested in seeing the land. They were happy with the land. They, 
you, you said the land's good. We don't got to check it out. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. They bought the right. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. The men said, I don't know. We got to see if it's going to work out. You know, and if you say no, they're going to say, well, forget. He must be hiding something. So they didn't have a choice. Moshe was hoping, though, that they'd overcome. That's another class. He's hoping they'd overcome this. So now let's just try to quickly just add one more point over here. So what else is after the story of the spies? So we have the tzitzis. What else? This is the mitzvah of Chala. The mitzvah of Chala. So if you look in source uh, 22 and 23, except till the end over there, it says, speak to the Jews when they come to the land of Israel. And the next uh, bullet point says, well, they will, you will eat me lechem ha'aretz. You're going to eat from the lechem of the aretz. And you'll take off chawa. Now, how much wheat, uh, how much uh, flour do you need for the midst of chala? Different amounts. But the real amount is 43 and one-fifth eggs. Okay, that's the amount. Well, whatever. Talmudic eggs, whatever you want to say. Where do they get 43 and one-fifth? Well, what's the gematria of... Um, What's the gematria of Chala? Chala is Ches, is 8. Lamed is 30. Hay is 5, is 43. So gematria of Chala is 43 and a half. 43 and you add that, and, and, a, and a fifth. So that, that's Chala. What do you also know in the next source? When they got the manna, the manna is called Lechamina Shamayim. And it was an omer, and an omer was 43 and one-fifth eggs. Yeah. That's the manna that fell down. And that's exactly the same amount. That's called challah. Interesting. So why is it the challah the same measurement? Because really, the manna is the bread from heaven, while the challah is the bread from the land. But it's still from the same source. Which means, even though you see your challah comes from the ground, it's coming from the heaven. And that's what the, uh, the Shalom mentions. Or rather, if you look in the last source in Sefer Tzvarim, Hashem says, man does not live on lechem levado, bread alone, but by the word of Hashem. What does that mean? So the Shalom asks the, cla- the classic question, being alive means that your soul stays in your body. So in order to live, you have to eat. But what about eating keeps the soul alive? The answer is that bread has got holy sparks of energy. And those holy sparks is what keeps the Nisham alive. Now, who's the one who makes the challah? The women make the challah. And as the Maral says, very interestingly, in Source 24, the world is like an enormous human and that each human is like a mini-universe. Just as the globe is land and water, so too the human is composed of earth compared to flower and spirit and intellect compared to water. Humans, as a combination of body, soul, flower, and water, are like a dough. By separating chala, we concentrate our multifaceted identity, the dough. As a result, God permits us to use this dough in the process of rectifying ourselves in this world. So really, if you think about it, the three mitzvahs that the woman has, you know why she really has them for? For her stupid husband. In other words... The woman, she knows how to see the world. She knows how to see the world. The man struggles. 
So he's got tzitzis. That's good. That should help him. But uh, at the end of the day, the woman alone cannot run the house. No matter how impressionable she is, she still needs the husband to go out and build the world and accept the impressions from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So who's going to train the husband to accept those impressions? The wife. And, in, and, in the, and she's got the vision in the three most important areas that matter most to a man. So what are those mitzvahs again? First is food. Now bread is not just bread, you understand. Bread is the staff of life. Without bread, but you know, but it, it includes everything. But but you take one food and say, listen, you gotta realize this bread is not just to stuff your face. There's sparks of holy energy in it, and every time a Jewish woman separates the challah, she's demonstrating the husband understand what the food's all about. So and then she has to say, you have to understand what, what my body's all about. And, for, and if you just look at me as a, as a wonderful sex symbol, as attractive as I may be, for two weeks, you're gonna trust me, you have to treat me like your sister. You have yeah. to treat me with respect and know there's something this woman besides what she offers in the body. I hope you could see more to me than my body. And that's what going to the mikvah is about. And obviously, when you're lighting the candles, which is the soul of man, She's telling everybody, now on Shabbos at least, we should know we are souls. And look at ourselves as souls. So on three aspects, she's coming really strong to the husband and say, listen, we are souls. Try to understand that. The food we eat is manna from heaven. And our relationship is much deeper than the physical body. So it's not, it's not that the woman is weak. But the man, his whole understanding of the world is going to be through the prism of the wife. And the wife who's got the good vision is going to create the environment that continues from her side and hopefully she'll make sure he puts on his tzitzis. And that's how you undo the fault of the spies. And that's how you're able, and when that gets repaired, then we're ready for Mashiach. So there's still one thing. Yeah, Everything we just said is absolutely beautiful and absolutely true. Good. However, thank we have you. that prayer. You would think I want to thank Hashem, oh. and I would, and I, I would. So, so, oh, so, so, I, 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 thank you. I didn't mention. So, what is there was a Mishnah. I skipped the source. The Mishnah in Pirkei Yavos says you should make the will of Hashem your will. Source yes. fifteen, so that God will make your will His will. Okay. So, so what does the woman say? Shalasani kirtso no. You made me like your will. What does that mean? You made me that I want to see everything the way your will tells me to see it. So the woman is, is saying, you made me perfect. You made me impressionable, which is a virtue because now your will is my, the only will I have is your will. And I'm way ahead of the men on that. Thank you very much. The man is like almost saying, Ah, Baruch Dynamis. Like, Dynamis is, you know, I, I, I'm not even close. I thank you even though you didn't make me a woman. But even though you made me so less, I'm so less than her. Are you, you thanking that you don't Just like when you, someone dies, you bless God and you say he's a true judge. The husband says, God, you're the true judge. I'm not, I'm not a woman. 
Never. I'd be so much better off if I was a woman. I'd be so much better. Why doesn't he say, I wish you wouldn't make me a woman? Because he didn't. See, God, no sex, no transgenders here. You accept your fate. Your fate is you're a man. You need, you need corrected vision. So you're going to have to wear tzitzis all day long to correct your vision. And your wife's got all those mitzvahs to make sure you stay in line. And she doesn't. And she's saying, God, you made me perfect. I hope I'll remember that. I hope I'll only be impressed by you and not be impressed by the people I shouldn't be impressed by. Okay. I'm sorry, i got to stop. It's 9.16. I'm going to be in big trouble. A smart woman is a woman who makes her realize...